2: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined by the one, the only, Weston Hodkiewicz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Hope everyone had a wonderful Merry Christmas. And the Packers certainly did, Wes, going down to Miami on a chilly South Florida 47-degree Sunday and knocking off the Dolphins 26-20. And I'll just start by saying this. When we were sitting in these seats last week, analyzing and previewing this game from all different angles, if you had told me, Mike, the Dolphins are going to have 20 points at halftime, (laughs) and the Packers are going to score only two touchdowns all day, what do you think of Green Bay's chances here? That's how this game unfolded, and yet the Packers pulled out a victory with a tremendous defensive turnaround, a second half shutout, three interceptions in the fourth quarter, and the offense converting um, a couple of those into field goals that broke a 20-20 to tie, and the Packers hang on for a victory that has changed the playoff fortunes significantly of both teams here, both Green Bay and Miami.
0: Yeah, Miami, and now four straight losses for them at all competitive games, but it just shows you the narrow margin of victory, yep. right? For the Green Bay Packers, it was funny. One of our insider inbox writers, uh, readers, actually wrote into us saying, "You know, your keys to victory couldn't really have been more wrong." Uh, and <laughs> how you guys laid this out, you know? Yeah, we
2: pretty much missed the dartboard with the, with those last <laughs> week.
0: Containing Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. the Packers obviously did a much better job of that in the second half. But the first half, both of those guys were going off like gangbusters with some coverage breakdowns. I look at this game, Mike, as there was a tipping point. It was Jaron Reed's takeaway. Uh, it was him generating that force fumble in concert with Devondre Campbell. Then Reed actually recovers it himself. That allowed the Packers weren't able to generate a lot of points off of their takeaways, right? But they did get three pivotal field goals. The first one was that 46-yarder by Mason Crosby before halftime. Then the Packers come back after the break and actually are able to go down the field, made some of their biggest plays of the afternoon. The, the third and nine pass to Patrick Taylor. Yeah. Mercedes Lewis makes one, maybe arguably his best grab as a member of the Green Bay Packers, that 31-yard ball down the sideline over Eric Rowe, and then it gets culminated with that that touchdown run by A.J. Dillon. That tied the game up for Green Bay, and they really took it from there, and as you said, Mike, you tip your cap to the defense. They took it on the chin in the first half. Yep. They made some adjustments. Jerry Gray had a few choice words for his secondary, <laughs> and they came out, shut them out in the second half, and finished with three consecutive interceptions. I know that the storyline this week, afterwards we found out, you know, is actually in the concussion protocol. You hope for the best for him.
2: Yeah, no question.
0: You know, and his long-term health, but the Green Bay Packers needed to do what they needed to do to win that game, and they did it.
2: Yeah, oh, to be a fly on the wall for that uh, what must have been a rather impassioned halftime talk from uh, from Jerry Gray with his uh, with his defensive backs. The way Chances first are half went. it
0: was very similar to when I don't do the subject-verb agreement correctly and Mike <laughs> Spofford needs yeah. to
2: pull me over.
0: <laughs> hey, we've talked about this, Wes. No, I mean... He he got his guys going.
2: Yeah, he did. He got he got his guys going. They clamped down. I mean, the, the what were the yardage? First half was like 271, and second half was was 105. And and it, and it really it was it was cutting down uh, it was cutting down on the explosives. Um, the long touchdown to Jalen Waddle early in the game was exactly what you feared from this team. And then the one to Tyree killed onto the one yard line again. Exactly what you fear when you when you play a team like this. What's
1: up? I'm John Wall.
2: And I'm CJ Toledana,
1: and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome
0: Coach John Calipari.
1: We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying cows are bust. You can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never see me do that. Check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano
0: on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It not be supposed to That's be my, my game,
2: <laughs> As far as those explosive plays are concerned, the Packers caught one huge break in the second half when Jalen Waddell had, had, uh, had caught one of those in-breaker slants, crossers, whatever you want to call it, taking it all the way down into the red zone but then was called for illegal formation because he lined up off of uh, the offensive line. The uh, the right tackle was not covered up. So the Packers caught a break there, and then on the very next play, Devondre Campbell gets his interception, the second of the of the three interceptions in the fourth quarter. I, and I guess that's what I was going to say, where I don't disagree with you with regard to the Jaron Reed fumble and recovery late in the first half being a turning point, because the score is 20 to 10 at that point. The Dolphins are at midfield late in the first half. They're looking like they're going to get a field goal minimum to go up 23 to 10, maybe a touchdown yeah. to go up 27 to 10. And then you are playing uphill big time in the second half. But I thought th- this this was the kind of game where, where there were just multiple turning points, where the game kept swinging back and forth, because the game is tied 20 to 20. Aaron Rodgers tries a deep shot to Alan Lazard in the end zone. Apparently, when it's less than 50 degrees on Christmas Day in Miami, there's no such thing as pass interference because Alan <laughs> Lazard gets knocked away from the ball and it gets picked off. And But the very next play, Jair Alexander gets the interception. You know, I mean, another turning point there, and I just mentioned the illegal formation on Jalen Waddell and then Devondre Campbell gets an interception right after that. The Dolphins go from thinking they've got first down, maybe first to yep. goal in the 10, whatever <coughs> it is going to be, to suddenly the Packers have the ball and are going the other way with a 23-20 lead and only six minutes on the clock. And, uh, um, and you know, the Dolphins are looking at trying to get that stop and, and get the ball back, which they do. Rasul Douglas gets the third interception, and uh, um, and the Packers leave Miami with, uh, with a huge victory. Just a... Uh, um, A game that swung back and forth so many times felt like there were so many turning points. But the, you know, sort of the epitome in some ways of this Packers season where, you know, even when the Packers lost in Buffalo, they didn't quit in that game. No, When they lost at Philadelphia, you know, teams that are, you know, you're playing those teams on the road, you know, they're going to the playoffs and and all that. Packers didn't quit in the game in Philly either, and they got that to a one-score game late when a lot of stuff was going against them. The Packers haven't quit on their season. At four and eight, when they were flying back from Philadelphia a month ago, would have been easy to quit on the season at that point. They haven't quit on the season. They're seven and eight now with a three-game winning streak. They're very much alive with two home games here coming up. Um, For as much as there's been the inconsistencies, the up and downs and everything, the defining characteristic of the 2022 Packers is they do not quit. They don't. And I also look at this game too, Mike, to to touch on one
0: more thing with the Jaron Reed fumble. That play after that, really the Dolphins got away from Raheem Mostert. And when you think about playmakers, guys that could potentially hurt you, what's the number one way to take them out of a game? Generate turnovers. Yep. Not only did Mostert really not touch the ball much after that fumble, they kind of got away from their running game altogether. The more this thing was into his hands, the more interceptions, the more takeaways Green Bay was able to generate. And watching those clips of Jair Alexander's interception, and obviously everybody's seen the the interview now with Pam Oliver afterwards and just how funny that was in the 30-second bit. But what is interesting to me about that that I don't think enough people are talking about is the first thing Jair says there. When Waddle, when these guys are coming in motion, just how flippin' fast they are. Yeah. You can see it. It's not just their straight-line speed. It's their ability to turn on a dime. That is a challenge that is ever-present when you're facing the Miami Dolphins, and it's the reason why no team wants to see them in the playoffs, because those guys are game records. Green Bay in the second half, whether it was Ennis Gaines having to step in for Keyshawn Nixon being out, whether it was Reed having to play important snaps at the five tech with Dean Lowry being unavailable due to the calf injury, Darnell Savage coming back in and playing on the top of that thing. Packers needed to keep those playmakers in front of them and they needed to tackle. They did that in the second half. And when you do that enough, Mike, it generates turnovers. It generates takeaways when you're asking a young quarterback like Tua, a young team like the Dolphins to be able to extend, to, to grind for points. The Green Bay Packers defense got back to doing what it did well at spurts last season, and I thought that was a big key to victory in this. Yeah,
2: one. it absolutely was, and and there was so much about this game that was uh, um, that was characteristic of this Packers season in general. And what I mean by that is up and down, positives, negatives on uh, in, in in all three phases. You look you look at special teams. Keyshawn Nixon has a 93 yard kickoff return right on on Miami's first kickoff after the opening field goal. But the special teams also botched a fake punt and gave Miami the ball in in great field position. Offensively, that drive to start the second half had to have it down by seven. You can can wipe out everything that's happened in the first two and a half quarters if you can drive down and tie the game at that moment because you say, okay, it's 2020, game on, nothing up to this point has mattered, and let's go. And the Packers were able to do that. Took seven minutes off the clock, 11 plays, I think it was, 78 yards. Tremendous offensive drive when you had to have it, but two failures in goal to go that led to field goals. Another failure in the red zone that led to a field goal. Packers not offensively not able to capitalize on all their opportunities. So there was the positives and negatives, and then defensively, as we talked about, getting burned by the explosives early on, but then suddenly over the last 32 minutes of the game, you generate four takeaways yep. and completely change the, uh, the the complexion of the game. So. Packers are still kind of riding this, you know, this roller coaster of of up and down play. They know what they're capable of, they know what they need to fix. If they can take if they can take care of the ladder in these last two games, they might still be playing in January.
0: You set me up perfectly here. You John Stockton, my Carl Malone. <laughs> All right.
2: Because that is a thing I really wanted
0: to delve into here because, yes, the Packers did not generate enough points off of those takeaways. Yes, if you kick too many field goals, it is probably a recipe to lose those games. But you know what Green Bay did in this game that they've struggled with at times? It's not just the complementary football. It's how well they ex- excelled in situational football yeah. in this game. Yep. The Keyshawn Nixon kickoff return, awesome. He was lamenting afterwards not getting a touchdown. Rasul Douglas made a little bit of a funny about that as well. They aren't able to get the touchdown. You have the Dallin-Levitt fake punt, doesn't go their way. But the defense keeps Miami out of the end zone. Mike, I'm telling you this too. You've covered this team five years longer than I have. But this is the best the Packers kickoff coverage units have looked in my time on the beat. When they kick, these guys get down, they stay in their lane, and they attack the football. In that game, with Raheem Mostert only averaging 19 yards per kickoff Yeah,
2: return, Raheem Mostert is a, is a weapon on a kickoff return. A speedy
0: kickoff return. Yeah. You talk about using starters on special yeah, teams. Miami no does that, and then some. Innis Gaines, Tyreek Carpenter. You know, I go back to the beginning of the season, and Matt Lafleur was asked about this on Monday in his post, you know, day after press conference. You know, we talk about Dallin Levitt, about Keyshawn Nixon, Rudy Ford, Eric Wilson, these veterans that have done this in the league before. But what was the thing you and I discussed back in training camp? It was the idea of, okay, you're going to have some guys that maybe aren't your traditional starters, but are core special teamers that you're going to build your units around. But once you get to December, you're going to have hungry guys like Ennis Gaines emerge. You're going to have guys like Isaiah McDuffie emerge. You're going to yeah. have somebody making tackles like Tariq Carpenter is right now.
2: Patrick the, Taylor throwing blocks on, Taylor. on kick return for Keyshawn Nixon.
0: Uh Kingsley and Igbari. You know, the, the, the carpenter one's the best example because here's a raw guy that Green Bay drafts, three, two 230 pounds, almost looks like a linebacker. Everybody's asking about linebacker. What did I say to you after they took him? I'm like, this is Sean Richardson with more speed. Yeah. This is a guy yeah. that has the type of body type you look for on coverage teams, and the Packers are able to win the field position battle. They didn't play like the best team in every second of that game. But at the end of the day, it was the takeaways. It was winning field position. It was winning time of possession. And it was being the team that responded better to adversity. And that's how you make the playoffs.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And 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 that's why I said, that's why I talked about how how important that drive opening the third quarter was because there were a lot of things that had gone wrong in the first half for the Packers. Yet they got to the locker room down seven. They were getting the ball coming out of halftime. And now after going after their first nine tries this season when they were fielding the second half kickoff, they only got one touchdown in their first nine tries. They've now done it back to back weeks against the Rams and the Dolphins taking that second half kickoff. And this one was crucial because you get that game tied up and then it's sort of like from then on, the rest of the game is kind of crunch time, right? It's like, you forget about everything else. It's 20 to 20, you play ball, you got a quarter and a half with your season on the line. And from the time that game was 20 to 20, there was absolutely no question who the better team was on the field, and no matter what happens up to that point, when you get to what, whatever moment a game reaches crunch time, there is no better formula in this league for winning than being the better team with the game on the line, because because it allow it allows you to cover up the mistakes you make in a in in an inevitably imperfect game, because yep. nobody goes out there and and plays a perfect and th- game. So and
0: think about this too. Just with the Packers having to settle for those field goals in the fourth quarter, they don't win that game if their defense isn't playing the way they played late. Right. I don't know if I've ever felt more comfortable, at least during the Matt LaFleur era. I don't want to get too hyperbolic about this, but about just needing to get the points to make sure that if you give up some field position, Miami can't either tie it or win it with field goals. That's what the Packers did in this game. It wasn't just about the takeaways. It's about the fact that by the time you got to the fourth quarter, midway through the fourth quarter, you felt good about how Green Bay was going to be able to defend them.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And while a lot of things, really everything Green Bay needed to go its way on Saturday on Christmas Eve did, and we'll get to some of that in a minute And as, uh, as we go over the playoff scenarios, it wasn't all sunshine and roses for the Packers because they did come back from Miami with a handful of injuries. Christian Watson left the game with a hip injury. Keyshawn Nixon... Um, obviously with the big kickoff return, and he you know, been working his way and developing into a mainstay defensively as that nickel corner. He left the game with a groin injury. Yash Nyman at right tackle left the game with a shoulder injury. Royce Newman replaced him. And Dean Lowry on the defensive line left the game with a calf injury, which led to uh, some shifting around with Jaron Reed, but then also more playing time for rookie Devontae yep. Wyatt. Matt LaFleur has put all four of those players in sort of the day-to-day category as we head into this week and the preparations for the Vikings on the field will begin on Wednesday and we will just see what the what the availability is for these guys. The Packers would love to get them all back, obviously. Um, but that's a uh, that's a wait and see thing. And as as healthy overall, aside from you know not having Rashawn Gary and Eric Stokes and you know a couple key guys like that on defense, David Bakhtiari on offense, we had talked about how the Packers were coming into this game about as healthy as you could ask for. Now the health equation, uh, you know turning against them a little bit. And we'll have to see what happens as the week unfolds.
0: Yeah, and, and to get back to that really quickly to close on this, with that point about you know the Packers and not being able to convert at the end and get in the end zone, it got to in the fourth quarter there where I started looking at them. I'm like, man, who are their available personnel at this point in time? Um, you know, because Aaron Jones tweaked the ankle, you're not really able to use him. That's one of the reasons why Patrick Taylor played in the situations he did on yeah. third and nine, right? Um, where he potentially might have been responsible for pass protection. Even he's good in that area, but I'm just saying, like you're putting. And then putting
2: he a, and then he did pick up the blitz on the very next did. play after the third and nine, which was the 31-yard pass yes. down the down the sideline to Lewis. So Patrick Taylor was in there in some in some crucial situations.
0: It, and it, it it even triggered in my mind in those instances where it's like you just got to win this game. You got to. Figure out the injury report afterwards. You got to right. hope the hip isn't too Absol- bad. You got to hope the groin isn't too bad. Right now, we will see what it's like. Matt Lafleur said on Monday, it looks like all these guys are day to day. You know, Nixon had already been dealing with the groin. That's the somewhat precarious one. But at, this is what you got to do, Mike. You got to win these football games. You got to win with the guys you have. And when you have Ennis Gaines out there, a guy that never had played defensive snaps, I can't remember in the regular season before. You know, and being lining up across from Jalen Waddle. That's how you win football games this time of the year, and the Packers did that.
2: Yeah, well, we do need to get to the playoff scenarios and implications, and we will do that momentarily here. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need, 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub-in-a-bowl, Cousin Subs, 50 years of better. All right, I mentioned all the things that went Green Bay's way on Christmas Eve day, which was the Lions losing, the Seahawks losing, the Giants losing, and the Commanders losing. So that couldn't have gone any better. The Packers get the win that they need in Miami. So now Green Bay comes back. You've got two home games here, Minnesota and Detroit, division opponents. Indoor teams coming, hopefully, to what will be the cold of Lambeau Field, although it's not supposed to be super cold on New Year's Day for the Vikings. But but it's chillier than U.S. Bank Stadium, certainly. Maybe not chillier than the press box in Miami, (laughs) the way way you and I were freezing sitting underneath an air conditioning vent that nobody could figure out how to shut off. Uh. But Sorry, I digress. (laughs) Um, So the Packers are coming back home. Here's here's the scenario. I'll lay it out for you as as simply as I possibly Please do. can. And it will be and Path to the Playoffs is coming back on packers.com. I promised it would be if the Packers got to 7 and 8 on Christmas. Other than McRibs so will have that
0: at McDonald's. Is there anything more jovial than you know, I tell you people people are
2: people are fired up for the return yeah. of Path to the Playoffs. It it's sort of generate generating all this excitement because I held off <laughs> until uh, until the Packers got to this point. Packers are 7 and 8. If they can win out and finish nine and eight, they need either a loss by Washington or two losses by the New York Giants and the Packers will have a playoff spot. Now, I don't even want to get into the scenarios. You might as well go buy a Powerball ticket (laughs) if you're trying to figure out how the Packers can get into the playoffs at eight and nine if they split their last two games as opposed to winning them both. Packers are in a position now where if they can win them both, get to nine and eight. It's all about what happens with the Giants and the Commanders, and uh, and we'll just have to uh, we'll just have to see what unfolds. Um, this week, both the Giants and the Commanders are playing teams with lesser records. They're playing the Colts and the Browns. Respectively, last week all the matchups kind of lined up in Green Bay's favor, right? The teams that the Packers needed to lose—they were, you know, the Giants were playing the Vikings on the road, the Commanders were playing the 49ers on the road, division champs in their own place. Things went the way you would hope and expect. Um, Packers are going to be, you know, crossing their fingers a little bit here with uh, with the matchups that the Giants and the Commanders have this week. But that being said. Um, the uh, the commanders in particular not playing well of late and have a, a quarterback uh, situation here yeah. with Ron Rivera trying to decide essentially whether to go with Taylor Heineke or Carson Wentz down the stretch here to try to get a playoff spot for Washington.
0: Yeah, it, first off, if I may start with this, the Packers. Uh, when you look at how this weekend shaped out, do you ever see uh, forget Paris? the movie Forget Paris. I don't think I with, did. With uh, Billy Crystal, 1994 Billy Crystal vehicle. Okay. Forget Paris. There's a great line in it where I think it was his dad or whatever just sits there and he keeps going, you want it, you got it. It was an old Toyota commercial, but he's like, yeah. that that's, and he just keeps reiterating that over and over again. <laughs> As Saturday was playing out, that's what was going off in my head. Like, Packer fans, you want it, you got it. <laughs> yeah. Now, we got to win on Sunday, but like, it really, these last couple weeks have been this, you're going to get everything you want. You're going to take advantage of it. You're going to jump on the opportunity. Yeah, because I, you and I said it, Mike. We said it at the beginning of December when you looked at how the Giants' schedule lined up in the Commander' schedule. Both of those teams could be playing their best football right now. It was still going to be difficult. They hadn't seen the Dallas yet, really. They hadn't. One of them, I don't even think, had played Philly yet. And here we are now in Week 17. Washington, I understand 100% what Ron Rivera was doing. You're probably losing that game. You want to see what Carson Wentz has. you got to figure out if he's going to be a guy that could potentially lead you on a playoff run here. The difficult thing about this is your offense might be more effective with Wentz. You might move the ball better with Wentz. He certainly is a better quote-unquote athlete in terms of the measurables than Taylor Heineke. But most of their wins this year have come when Taylor Heineke's been the quarterback, and he's had to do it in unconventional ways.
2: Yeah. I think I even made he's, that remark. He's, sort of, he's sort of a he's sort of a spiritual leader exactly. as much as he is as much as he is an on field you know leader that the quarterback needs to be. But he's there, there's sort of a there's sort of a heart and soul element to Taylor Heineke when he's the guy that's leading that team. And as much as and I understand where Rivera is coming from because in terms of in terms of you know really pondering this decision because. Um, for as much as I, I respect Heineke and I give him a ton of credit for the way the, the way the guy battles and he plays, he plays fearlessly. He will he will absolutely fight you tooth and nail to the end. What's always bitten Taylor Heineke and it's biting the Washington Commanders right now is that he gets careless with the football, yeah. and that's really that is why. The commanders now the the 49ers were going to be a tough team to beat regardless, but certainly that loss against the Giants in the Sunday night game the previous week, that loss was on Taylor Heineke turning the football yeah. over. He was careless with the ball. The Giants took advantage and then were able to hang on for a win. And that carelessness with the ball showed up against a really really good 49ers defense as well. So Rivera Rivera is in a tough spot because because Heineke is that is that spiritual guy, but yet. You're not gonna win if he's gonna turn the ball over like that. And see,
0: this is where I get this is where I wanna spin it into this week seventeen situation because I actually think Heineke is the quarterback that should be starting against Cleveland. I think he's the guy that gives them the best chance of winning the game however they're gonna do it. I mean, Carson Wentz, correct me if I'm wrong here, I believe they were two and four with him as as the starting quarterback. Sounds
2: about right. Five
0: of their wins have come in this Heineke era. More often than not, they've won with Heineke.
2: Yeah, five wins and a tie.
0: If you go with Wentz, I'm very curious to see how this works out because you have Deshaun Watson on one side, a lot of noise, don't want to get into that aspect of it, but a guy that legitimately has just been playing again for the last three weeks and then you got Wentz on the other one that's been out here for two months. Yeah. Very curious to see how that matchup would play out. As far as the Packers are concerned, you have to win these last two, but Washington... You look at this game against Cleveland, and you look at next week. Regardless of who would be playing in that game, you gotta hope. But Washington needs to find some wins here, and they got to try to find something that's going to get them that number seven spot. Yeah,
2: there are implications here, of course, that uh, hopefully we'll be discussing next week if the Packers can beat the Vikings and they stay in this thing, and then and and say, you know, if if you are hoping for, you know, either the Giants or the Commanders to lose, and they're playing you know, the Eagles and the Cowboys, respectively. There's a lot of reason to root this week for the Eagles to lose and the Cowboys to win so that the NFC East and essentially the number one seed in the NFC is not decided. Because if the Eagles take another loss and the Cowboys get another win, both of those teams are still playing for a heck of a lot in Week 18 against their division rivals, teams that the Packers may need to lose. That being said if the Giants get a win this week against the Colts, they are in the playoffs. Yep. If they, the way everything had fallen on Saturday, if the Giants had managed to beat the Vikings, um, they if, the, if they had gotten that game to overtime, for example, without yep. Greg Joseph hitting the 61-yard walk-off field goal, if they get that game to overtime and win it, the Giants would have gotten in already. They just need one win to get in. So from the Packers' perspective, you're looking at the the commanders. You just need them to lose once, Packers win both of their games and you get in. Here's here's what I think is is the uh is the interesting the interesting scenario so to speak is if if the Packers if the Packers win I'm trying to, I'm trying to think all this through. I've lost my train of thought now, so I apologize. Hey, can I I, can I, I had come up I had come up with what I thought was maybe a scenario and I hadn't confirmed it 100%. But a scenario of games if everything fell a certain way that Green Bay and Detroit in week 18 could be like a winner gets in and loser goes home, like de facto playoff game, which then means hello, Sunday night football primetime at Lambeau Field, right? I don't know. I'm still not 100% sure if that can actually happen. Maybe there's a lottery ticket out there that somebody could punch and and, and figure out a way for that to uh, take place.
0: I don't know if this time is going to be enough for you to recombobulate and think about that stat, but I want to say this, because we focus so much on – the Green Bay Packers, everything worked out perfectly for them last weekend. It also lined up very well for them this week because think about it. Tennessee, there isn't a lot for them to play for this week. Everything is coming down to that Jacksonville game next week. So you would hope, regardless of who the Dallas Cowboys you know, play, don't play, whatever, that's going to be a winnable game for them on Thursday night. Think about this too, Mike. I was talking with Tom Fanning, our PR, assistant director PR about this in the press box on Sunday. If, Detroit doesn't kind of choke on its marbles there a little bit against Carolina. There was a scenario where the Packers could have played Detroit, you know, gotten to that game and beaten Detroit, and Detroit still would have been the team that advanced based on strength of schedule. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out. Strength of victory. Perfe- yeah. Strength of victory. Right. It worked out perfectly that Carolina, with a playoff push, completely ran them out of the building. Oh, my
2: goodness. And yeah. get
0: this, too. Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts shoulder injury. They're going up now against New Orleans. New Orleans at 6 and 9, people upset about Dennis Allen and everything. They're still kind of in this thing in the South. Yeah. The teams that need to play for something benefit the Packers. The teams that necessarily don't need to play anything for this week also benefits the Packers.
2: Yeah. I think the I think the scenario I was trying to put together is this. Giants win, Commanders lose, Packers win seahawks lose and lions win if all of that happens in week 17 i think i think the week 18 green bay detroit game is the winner gets the last playoff spot the number seven seed and the loser is out it becomes a de facto playoff game and i would bet that dan campbell will probably coach that game shirtless and maybe even (laughs) barefoot on the sideline at lambeau field to, to try to inspire his team to a playoff spot i kid of course but that being said, I think that's the scenario that would potentially set up a Green Bay Detroit winner go home game in week 18 at Lambeau Field. But as of now, all that matters is beat the Vikings and the Packers are still in it heading into week 18. We'll see how the other chips fall.
0: Let's make it even more exciting. We'll talk about this on Thursday. Matt Eberflus, Justin Fields. Go into Ford Field and just run, just run away with the entire game.
2: (laughs) Don't don't even try. Yeah, Luke 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 offensive coordinator, good friend of ours, former Packers assistant coach. Don't even call a pass play against the Lions. Just run it. Just run it with all of the running backs, receivers, your quarterback. Everybody, just run against the Lions. And if I see at the end of that game, 320 rushing yards. Are you kidding me? amazing My goodness oh okay, jamal williams sorry. this is we, his we, game go off jamal. I, i've i've digressed far too much in this show <laughs> any other points you would like to make before i sign off
0: all i gotta say is just keep it going keep all of it going the packers so much has kind of fallen the way they needed it to fall the last two weeks and after everything they went through in the middle season stretch of the season this is what you were hoping for two more games here to make it happen
2: all right with that We will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team. We have it all for you all week long on Packers.com leading up to Sunday's January 1st New Year's Day game against the Minnesota Vikings. For Wes, I am Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.